Good afternoon. Oh, wow. <laughs> How you guys doing? All right. <laughs> you know, we're just talking about the fact that this is the first time that we come to Houston, and it's hotter here than Cancun. Something's weird, okay? But anyway, we're very happy to be here. Um, I had planned, you know, I preached here about a month ago, July 4th. And um, I knew I was going to come back in a month, and I had a plan for what I was going to preach. But um, we uh, took time off a couple of weeks right after uh, we came here. I'll tell you more about it in a minute. And during that uh, time of travel, uh, God showed me some things and put some things in my heart. So what I would like to do today is just share with you what, what happened in that trip, okay? So let me pray for us, and, and, and let's, let's chat. Father... I just thank you so much for your love, for the fact that you have given us one more day here on earth, the opportunity to know you and to worship you and to love you and to feel your presence and to enjoy the company of the people that we love. Thank you so much, Lord. Um, Father, you know these things that you put in my heart and that some of them are heavy. So I ask you that you would just be a light here today, that your presence will be felt and that you will speak to our hearts I know that there are people here that need to hear this word, so may you speak directly to them, Father. I ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, um, see, about um, three and a half months ago, um, we found out that uh, one of my wife's brothers, uh, Glenn, uh, he, he was detected with a tumor in his brain, cancer. It's an incurable thing. They can't take it out. It's right in the middle of the brain. Um, and the problem is that as, as it grows, he's going to start losing his mental abilities. Right now, he's lost all uh, short-term memory. He remembers everything that happened between one and a half to two years into the past, which is a good thing. He remembers his wife, his kids, his grandkid, uh, but he doesn't remember what's happening. You know, you have a conversation with him in the morning, and by the afternoon, he's forgotten about it. Um, and then we found out that another brother, she has five brothers and one little sister, uh, another one of her brothers, she had cancer two years ago in the kidney, so they, you know, took it out, uh, but they just discovered that cancer came back, it's in his lungs, and at the time, they were about to test him to know if, if he also had passed to his kidney, because if that was the case, then there's absolutely nothing they can do. Um, so... You know, Karina wanted to go and visit with them. You know, we know that uh, the time is short for them here. And she said, I would like to go and visit with them. Uh, and, you know, we, we came here. We talked to Mark and Laura, and they were very gracious and said, please go. So we came here. We um, spent some time with Mark and Laura, which was always, every time we spend time with them, it's like it recharges our batteries. And, you know, we've heard more about what's going on with his knee and stuff. And then um, what we planned to do, and is what we did, is we flew from here to San Francisco, where our older daughter lives. But before we visited with her, we rented a car, and we drove up to Medford in Oregon, where her brother lives, okay? Uh, and then we spent some time with them. You know, we, we weren't there to serve them, you know, for, for his wife to take a break. So we cooked for them all the time, cleaned after ourselves, you know, spend a lot of time with them. 
Um, and then we drove down to Yosemite where we met with Trina's sister who has another very complicated situation. She has an autistic son that is already an adult and it's very complex a situation. And, and then we drove down uh, to Martinez where our daughter lives and spent time with them and we had a lot of fun. Our granddaughter, if you can believe it, this Friday she turned 11, she's already huge, you know. And they're tight, economically speaking, but they're very happy. And, but see, we did all this driving. You know, in a period of 15 days, we drove around uh, 2,300 miles. And th this is something that we love doing. Karina and I, for our honeymoon, we drove up the West Coast all the way to Napa, you know, from, from L.A., and, and we just love those, those trips, you know, you're just on the road and you're talking and, you know, we get a lot of conversation when we do those things. But then you also have a lot of time to think. And thinking can be a dangerous thing, you know, when, when you have a lot of time to think and a lot of uh, hard circumstances around you, it can lead you in the, in the wrong path. See, because... What I found myself doing when, while I was driving is that all of a sudden I started having these if-only thoughts. You know, if, if only, you know, th this pandemic hadn't hit. If only Mark hadn't fallen. You know, if only I, I have more money to help the family. If only, you know, Glenn, Karina's brother, who already had a complicated health situation and now on top of it, brain cancer. If only, if only, if only. And when you start following that line of thinking, it's, it's a very dangerous path because you may not notice this, but what you're doing is you're starting to question God. You know, you, you, you start to question his wisdom and, and his provision and his love for you without you noticing Okay, and, and you know, maybe it's had, this has happened to you, but, um, you know, when I catch myself doing these things, uh, I immediately stop myself. I'm like, okay, stop, stop going that route. And what I try to do is I try to analyze the situation that I'm living through the perspective of the Bible. So this is why uh, knowing your Bible is so important. Because the most important sermon that you're going to hear in your entire life is not anything that you hear from up here, but the sermon that you preach to yourself all the time. And it has to come from the right source. See, the Bible is the most important source of wisdom that exists. So I have friends that uh, have been friends of mine since way before I was uh, even a Christian, forget a pastor. But, and when, when I have conversations with them, it frustrates them that we're talking about a certain topic and they would ask me, so what do you think? And my answer always begins with the words, well, the Bible says, and I tell them, you know, and we were having one of those conversations. One of them said to me, but I don't care what the Bible says. What do you think? What is your opinion? What is your perspective? You know, and I try to make them understand how my perspective, my wisdom is irrelevant. You know, I have, I have evidence in my life that my wisdom is not very good. See, when I, when I was about 20 years old, you know, it's like I would make decisions thinking, oh man, I'm 20 year old, I'm, I'm grown up, you know? And then when I got to 30, I would look at myself at 20 and think, how could I have been such a moron? How could I have made such dumb decisions? You know, oh, thank goodness I am so more mature now, you know? And then when I got to 40, I looked back to 30 and I thought exactly the same thing. And then when I got to 50, I look at 40 and the same thing. But you know what happened? When I turned 60, I'm 60 right now, I look at 50 and a little bit before and I start noticing how I started making better decisions 
since I started committing to following the Bible, the Bible's wisdom. So there's evidence in my life that I might be a moron, you know? But even a moron can do good when he follows the Bible. So there's hope for all of us morons, okay? All right, anyway, the, the most important thing is to go to the Bible and, and, and pass your circumstances and pass your situations through the Bible. So that's what I did. I stopped, you know, my line of thinking. I thought, okay, let's analyze what in the Bible tells me about situations like we're facing, where it seems like we're being hit from all over the place. And the more I thought about it, I realized that the problem that most of us, and I would say all of us here have, is that our circumstances fall between the circumstances that a man in the Bible called Job faced and the circumstances that a man called Solomon faced. We're in between. See, Job and Solomon are opposite ends of the spectrum of life where one lost everything and one had everything. See, the story of Job, if you have read um, uh, the book of Job, it starts by showing you a man that was doing great. He was a very rich man. You know, in those days, he was an agricultural society. He had animals in the thousands, camels, sheep, hogs, you know, donkeys. He had a lot of children, men and women that had made it to adulthood, and, and they were enjoying his richness. And, and most important of all, he was considered righteous in the eyes of God. And then Satan comes and makes this proposition to God and says to him, you know, the reason why people like Job worship you is because you bless them too much and you protect them. But if you took everything that he has, he would curse you to your face. And to our, you know, <laughs> shakiness, God says, oh, really? Take everything. Take everything from him and we'll see if he's faithful or not. So in one day, he loses everything. You know, a servant arrived saying, we were taking care of the camels when the Sabaeans arrived and killed all the other servants and stole the camels. I was the only one that survived. And he's not done speaking when another one shows up and says, you know, we were taking care of the sheep when all of a sudden fire from heaven burned all your sheep and killed all your servants except me. When the fire comes from heaven, things start to look suspicious. You know, it's like something's going on. And then another servant comes and the same thing happens with the ox and the donkeys. And then the last servant comes and says, all your children were having lunch together and a storm came from the desert, knocked the house down and killed all of them in one day. And if you continue to read, you'll see that by the second chapter, he loses even his health. You know, he's covered with sores. He's sitting in ashes trying to scratch the pain. The only thing that he's left with is a wife that nags him, that tells him, you're still worshiping that God, curse him and die. You know, I wonder if at any time the thought crossed over Job's head saying, return the sheep and take the woman, you know, like, or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. But, <laughs> but see, when, when we start experiencing situations like what Job experienced, even if it's only in one area of our lives, because if you think about it, Job was hit in every area of his life. He lost his riches, he's lost his source of wealth, he lost all his children, and he ends up even losing his health. And it's, it's very normal for us human beings that when that happens, and especially with what we're living right now with this pandemic raging and everything that's happening in the world, we start thinking, if only, 
If only the pandemic hadn't hit, the church was doing so well. If only Mark hadn't fallen off those stairs. If, if Glenn, who already had a complicated health situation, didn't get cancer. If my kids had not lost their sight. If only, if only. But, and, and you know, the problem with that is that you begin to create an image in your head of how happy and satisfied you would be if only external things changed. And that, that's the trap of the world. The world wants you to think that if your circumstances were perfect, then you will be very satisfied, okay? Um, in other words, if your circumstances were more like Solomon's than Job's, you would be happy, you would be satisfied. But you know what proves that thinking wrong? Solomon. See, if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, now, you, you learn about uh, King Solomon. King Solomon was a guy that he became the king of Israel when Israel was a superpower, okay? All the nations around them bowed to them, you know? They paid taxes to them. People traveled for, you know, long distances just to meet Solomon and hear his wisdom, okay? It, it, he was a man that God gave him all the wisdom, all the money, you know, and a long life that he asked for. But do you remember what he decided to do? with all that that God gave him, he decided to make an experiment. He said, I'm going to try everything that a person can do under the heavens to see if that satisfies. He actually says it in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 13, the first part of verse 13 says, I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. And he takes off on this experiment and he starts doing crazy things. He first starts throwing parties. But, but don't think just... You know, I don't know what's the best party that you've been in your life, you know, but this guy, he threw parties that lasted weeks, sometimes months. Between 15 and 20,000 people would show up. You know, First Kings chapter 4 lists the amount of animals that they had to kill to feed all these people for that long and the amount of wine that flowed. I mean, he didn't download music from Apple Music. He bought the band, you know, he, he brought the musicians live. You know, he would throw these epic parties. You know, and then he kind of got tired of the, of, of the party, so he started building. And he started building big. He built himself a palace. It took 14 years to build. Then he built other palaces and houses for all his wives and stalls for his thousand horses. You know, he planted woods that since they were in the middle of the desert, then he had to create artificial lakes right next to, to be able to water. I mean, built seriously. And then he started going for, 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 for servants. You know, he got slaves and slaves. He had slaves that had slaves. You know, he didn't have to move a finger, but some of his slaves didn't either. You know, and then and he decided to try it with sex. So he started having sex with the woman of all the nations around Israel besides the, the women in Israel. You know, all the women that God said to, to the people of Israel, do not get involved with these people. He tried everything. He ended up with 700 wives and 300 concubines. Do you know what that says? He had 700 wives and 300 women to cheat on their 700 wives. A thousand mothers-in-law. I mean, the guy was crazy, okay? And when you hear the two extremes of this, you know, a guy that lost everything and, and a guy that had everything, you may ask, okay, what does this have to do with me? You see, the, the most interesting thing is God is trying to teach us the same lesson through both men, through the experience of both. And you may say, how is that possible? This guy had everything and, and Job didn't have anything. Well, let me show you the conclusion of both, 
Okay? Here's what Solomon concluded in, in chapter 1, verse 14 of Ecclesiastes. He says, I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. So he tried everything, okay? He says, all of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So what Solomon is saying is, if you think that if, if, if all your family was healthy and you had all the power that you could do whatever you wanted and all the money in the world to do whatever you wanted and you could drive every pleasure in the world and that would give you satisfaction, that's false. I tried it and it doesn't work. And he says, listen to me because you're not going to be able to try this experiment. You will never get to, to my riches. But the riches of this world, the power of this world, the people of this world is an illusion. They're all meaningless. And see, the problem is you and I will never have as much as Solomon has. A lot of people think that their unhappiness is because they're lacking something. And this is where the if onlys come. What you're saying is if only I had that, then I would be satisfied. But Solomon says, nope. Here's my lesson. This is how he concludes the book in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. It says over and over in the book, if you read it, he continues to tell people there is nothing new under the sun. You may think that you're going to try some new thing and you're going to experience something that no one has experienced. Nothing is new under the sun. And this is the conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. You know what he's saying? He's saying... All these things that I could acquire with money and power, all these pleasures that I experienced, do not satisfy. The only thing that truly satisfies is to be in a good relationship with God, to be okay with God. You know? When you are all right with God, then you are satisfied. That's Solomon's conclusion. Okay? Now, what is Job's conclusion? See, when, when Job first gets all these tragedies, he gives uh, to his wife... These very spiritual answers. Actually, when, when he first loses everything, he, he, he says one of the most famous phrases in the Bible. He says, naked I came out of the womb of my mother, and naked will I depart. The Lord gave me. The Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, it's, it's an admirable answer. But you know what he does next? For the next 35 chapters, he starts questioning God. He wants an audience with God. Are you going to listen to me? Are you going to answer me? Why did this happen? I want to know. You know, he's with three friends that are not very good friends who keep attacking him, telling him, you must have done something terrible for this to have happened. So Job is like, are you going to listen to me? For 35 chapters, okay? By the end of his co confrontation in chapter 30, 38, God answers. And by then, the Bible says that he answers in a stormy way. And he says, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without meaning? If you read a different version, it says with words without wisdom. What he's telling him is like, you think you have enough wisdom to challenge mine? You think you know better than I do? And then he starts listing his power, his omnipresence, everything that he does. He says, oh, surely you were there when I laid down the foundations of the earth, right? And you know exactly at what temperature each star in the universe burns. And you know how I keep it all in balance. And you know, you know what animals are giving birth right now at the end of the earth. And what's happening at the bottom of the ocean and top of the mountain. And you know everything, right? So you have the right to challenge my wisdom because you are so wise. And you know what happens? 
Job arrives to the conclusion that I have seen that most people that go through really hard circumstances, but they look at God in the middle of them, even if it's to question him like, like Job did, you know, they all, we all arrive to the same conclusion. Listen to what he says at the end of the book in Job chapter 42, verses 5 and 6. He says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. What he's saying is, I thought I knew you. I, I, I thought I knew who you were and how you worked, but now my eyes have seen you. And we know for a fact that God did not appear in front of Job. So what he's saying is like, for the first time, I am experimenting a relationship. I feel your presence. And, and, and the only thing that comes out of experiencing you is joy. At the end of the day, I didn't really need all the things that you gave me. It was great to have them, but the only thing I really need is you. And even if I have a lot of things, the only way I can enjoy them is if I see them as a gift that comes from you. So you see, both Job and Solomon arrive to the same conclusion. What Job discovers is that he had been distracted by the pain. He had been so focused on his pain that he was distracted from the right thing. And isn't that what happens to us? Isn't it what we do? You know, that we start just focusing on the pain and, and the things that are going wrong. And, but the moment that you change your perspective, you know what happened to me? I remember the moment that I was driving and I was going through all these things in my head and God was showing me these things. And all of a sudden, I felt this peace in my heart. You know, that, that you know, he started reminding me the amount of times that we have been in hard circumstances and he always shows up. You know, through a person that comes to help, through a hug, through a burst, through, through, through just feeling him through prayer. And when we're in the middle of these storms, he always shows up. And, and, and what happened is, all of a sudden, there in the car, I started enjoying the present moment. I realized where I was. I'm driving in this car. We love doing these drives together. Here is my wife, Karina, who's smiling. You know, uh, I wanted to think that she was smiling because we were together. Maybe she was thinking of the ice cream she was going to eat later. I don't know, you know. But all of a sudden, see, I realized that when we're distracted by the pain, you know, that robs us from enjoying the present. You're either concerned with what's going to happen in the future and, or upset with what happened in the past and you wish that it would change and, so you're not in the present. And all of a sudden, I started realizing how many presents I had had just that week that were amazing. See, Mark has a very serious situation in his knee, but when, when he first got that halo that he has on his knee, we exchanged messages. You know what he said to me? He says, but you know what? I think I'm going to hear God better now because I have a big antenna, you know? <laughs> you know? And I realized this guy is enjoying the present. I realized, you know, how Glenn and Jamie, you know, Karina's uh, brother and sister-in-law, how much they enjoyed the, the moment that we were there. You know, how, with what clarity, Glenn sees life. He knows he's not going to live much longer. But, like, it, it was, I could see the pain sometimes in, in Jamie's face when he, he would tell us a, a, an anecdote of something that had happened, very excited. And then, like, an hour later, he would start telling it again. You know, and, and, and Jamie would say to him, you just told us that story. He's like, oh, that's what happens when you're about to die. He'd say, like, you know, like, like 
But he enjoyed every moment that, that we spent with them. You know, and, and, and I started enjoying that drive as you cannot imagine the time that we spent together. You know, and, and I realized then that having everything in your life going well doesn't equal peace. It's when your peace comes from God that circumstances don't matter. You know, you, start, you know that things are going to be okay one way or the other because he's in control and he's wise and he's good and he loves you. But you know, the, the source of, uh, of, of peace and comfort starts even increasing when I start noticing that it's rubbing on other people. You know, and I can see them enjoying also the present regardless of circumstances. Um, in, in Cancun, we have an executive pastor called... Emilio Brito, you know, we have talked about him in the past, but I, I brought a picture of him and his family for you to, to remember them. Uh, do we have a picture? Yeah, there is. Uh, that's Emilio, uh, his wife Jenny, and, and their two kids, Jethro and Joshua, okay? Well, right before we started traveling, uh, you know, the last time I was here, uh, Emilio told us that his mom, Raquel, uh, we also have a picture of, of, of Raquel uh, here, for you to, to see her. So I want you to be praying for her. That's Raquel. You know, she got sick with COVID, right? You know, like a week before we left. And as we left, you know, when we were traveling here, Emilio told us that he and his wife and everyone in the family got sick with COVID. So they took the mom to be with them, you know, and they were taking care of her. You know, while we were traveling, you know, driving all over the United States, you know, he called me and said, my mom is, is becoming seriously ill. We're starting to get better but she's not getting better. We're going to have to hospitalize her, okay? So they put her in the hospital, you know? Um, and when I came back, you know, uh, we, we decided to close the church again in Cancun because Emilio got infected. Half our staff was sick. Half the volunteers were sick. So we said, okay, let's close the church for a few weeks. We'll decide what to do next. So on Thursday after we came back, um, I was to record a message. I exchanged a couple of... Uh, text messages with, with Raquel. And Raquel told me, Marco, I'm at peace. Doesn't matter what happens. I don't know what God is going to do, but my heart is completely at peace. So please don't worry. Karina and I had sent her a recorded message. And she said, I loved hearing your voices, but I can hear that you're, I'm fine. And the morning I was going to record the sermon, I had a conversation with Emilio over the phone. And, and he said, Marco, I, I wanted to call you because, um, as you are going to be preaching today, they're going to intubate my mom. Her, her lungs uh, are, are having a very hard time fighting, and she got another infection, a fungal infection, and that infection is killing her. So if they don't intubate her now, she won't have the strength to fight both. So we pretty much said goodbye, and she's going to be intubated today. And I asked him, I said, and how are you? How are you doing? And he said, you know what? You know, I never understood before, that source of peace that you mentioned when we talk about your kids. You know, he says, but I get it now. I'm at peace. I know she's fine. I know she's going to be fine no matter what happens, and I completely trust God's plan for us. So I don't know how to explain it to you, but I'm fine. And amazingly enough, my mom is fine. We had breakfast with them before we came here. And Jenny was telling us that they were completely surprised because their older son, whom you just saw, Jethro, who's nine years old, 
you know, when they told them the news of what was happening, the little ones started crying, but Jethro was completely at peace. So they were afraid first. They said, are, are, are you not sharing your feelings with us? And he was like, no, no, that's not it. It's like, so are you not afraid? Are you not sad? It's like, well, not really. He said, why not? He says, well, three things. First of all, my grandmother hasn't died. No, <laughs> she's in the hospital. Second of all, if she died, she would go with God, which is better than being here. And three, even if she dies, she'll live in my heart forever. So why should we sad? A nine-year-old. <laughs> Listen, the truth is, see, this is something really important that we need to learn to do. You know, to trust God in these circumstances. I, I read a few days ago a devotional, and, and the author of the devotional was saying that there are three types of faith that people show. See, the first level of faith is the people that has a lot of faith because they ask for a sign or they pray for something, they hope for something, and it happens. So you feel everything is going great, so you have a feeling inside of you that makes you believe. So that's one level of faith. Then there's a higher level of faith of the people that doesn't need any signs. They believe in the Bible. The Bible says things. I believe them, so I trust what the Bible says because it says it, and I believe. Remember what Jesus said to Thomas, to Thomas, you know, blessed are those who believe without seeing. That's, that's another level of faith. You know, I don't need any signs. But the third level, it's, it's the faith that the people that are going through terrible adversity, but still hold on to God's hand show. You know, when everything is going bad, when everything seems to be going against you, when the world looks completely dark, when all hope seems to be lost, but you still have peace in your heart because you know that God is in control of everything, even those storms. See, we, we see that faith uh, in the Bible in, in many instances, but uh, one that I love is uh, when the apostle Paul you know, is being taken to Rome. He's going on a ship. He's going to be tried in Rome, and, 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 and a hurricane catches them. You know, these huge storms, you know, that, that for days, you know, that the, the boat is just taken by the storm. And he says there that for many days they didn't see stars, they didn't see the sun, everything in the boat breaks, you know. So he says, we lost all hope to be saved. Why? Because they have tried everything that was under their control, and they couldn't win against the storm. So all hope was lost. But what does Paul do? He goes in communion with God, you know, has a time with God, and God tells him, you'll be fine. Don't worry, you're going to be okay. So he comes out to the people of the boat, and he says these words, Acts 27, verse 25. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said. See, that is the question for us. Do you believe God? Notice that the question is not, do you believe in God? I know most of us believe in God. The question is, do you believe him? Because those words are written there for you and for me. And what he's saying is, you'll be fine one way or the other, regardless of circumstances. Doesn't matter how many pandemics, you know, how many economic problems we have, how many health problems we face, you're going to be fine. Do you believe me? Because if you do, then you're going to realize that peace is going to invade your heart because you are in his hand. 
my prayer is that that peace that I was able to then enjoy in the middle of all the pain that was happening around us will invade your heart. If you're going through one of those, that you will go to him. And if you're not, when the storm comes, that you will know to not go down the path of if only. Because to God, there are not if only. He speaks and the universe obeys. That's the God that we have, that he's present and loves you. Let's pray. Father, um, I know, Lord, um, how hard it is for us human beings uh, to, to try to be in your presence at all times. It, it is ironic, Lord, because when things are going great, we forget to. And when they're going all wrong, you know, they distract us completely. And all we can think of is what's going wrong. Help us out, Father. I know it was your spirit, the one speaking to my heart in the middle of that mess, that made me recapacitate and start thinking of the perspective that you put in my heart coming from the Bible. I ask for every person that is listening to these words right now, Father, that you will just invade our hearts, invade us with your peace, give us light and strength, and remind us at all times that you're always with us and that you are in control and everything is fine. We love you and we thank you in the powerful name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.